the nonprofit MBA purpose is to provide new business insights and fresh creative ideas for executive directors and their teams that will help them improve their organization. Here is your host, Stephen Holastic. Welcome, everyone. My name is Stephen Holastic. I will be your host for today's uh, nonprofit MBA podcast. And for those of you who don't know me, I am co-founder of Financing Solutions, and we are the leading provider in the United States for lines of credit for small nonprofits. And yes, there's a company that specifically focuses in on that. It's a great product. It's really loved. We've been doing it for 13 years now, and it's, it's you know it's really uh, it's something that nonprofits have wanted for a long time. If you're interested in learning more about the line of credit for your nonprofit, profit, please visit um, our website at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Again, that's nonprofitmbapodcast.com. And we have a sponsor, as we have uh, had for quite some time. Arrays Fast Fund Online is accounting software that's specifically made for small to medium-sized nonprofit. It has everything built right in there. It's so much better than QuickBooks. Uh, you know, it has accounting, it has fundraising modules, it has payroll. It's all in one single solution. Uh, and if you're interested in learning more about it, and it's not expensive either. So if you're interested in learning more, go to raise.com, A-R-A-I-Z-E.com or call 866-840-7449. Today, I am very excited to be speaking with Mike Gelman from High Five Career Coaching. Uh, for over 20 years, Mike, uh, ha- who has been the founder and CEO of High Five Career Coaching, has successfully facilitated numerous talent management and organizational development initiatives, including succession planning, uh, high potential leadership development or leader development, employee engagement, team building, and culture change. He also is a certified coach and author of the book Pipe Dreams, Seven Pipe Dreams of Career Success. He launched his nonprofit career in organizational development at the world-famous San Diego Zoo. Mike, welcome to today's Nonprofit MBA podcast. Yeah, thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me here. So we're going to be talking about something you know that every nonprofit seems to have a, has an issue with, um, and that is how to build and keep your talent. Um, so, so do you hear often, as far as nonprofits go, the issue in regards to keeping their talent? Yeah, uh, certainly it's it's a big challenge now. Um, you know, COVID brought things to the forefront in that regard, whereas so many people are drawn to nonprofits because of the mission, right, the cause, and they believe in that. But many burned out, right, uh, during, uh, not just during COVID, but that accentuated it. And now that we're out of it, um, there's a lot of concerns, particularly in Southern California, where I am and other parts of the country around, you know, getting a living wage, uh, you know, having more equity with respect to, you know, the compensation in addition to just working for a great organization, you know, with a great mission. So. Yeah. I mean, how much have you found from your experience is turnover a function of management or of, you know, if, if a lot of people are leaving an organization and let's say, I mean, it used to be the acceptable level of turnover was 5%. So, 
So if every year, every year, if your staff was leading and you were under 5%, then you're doing well. Is that still the case? Is that number still valid? Yeah, it's, it's, it's much higher uh, these days and it's depending on industry, but in the nonprofit sector, um, don't quote me on it, but it, it's, it's closer to, you know, 20, 30%. Holy um, cow. It's, it's really high. And so, but to your point, most people still leave because of their manager, their boss. I think you're alluding to that. Those, that yeah, I mean, what I, was, what I was alluding, right, I was alluding to the idea that my, that especially what I've seen in nonprofit sectors is that people say, well, they're, they're, lead, they're leaving because they, they're not making enough money. And in the, biz, in the for-profit sector, that was always an excuse that someone would say, oh, they're leaving because they want more money. And that's not a, that's not a good excuse because it takes somebody a lot of, uh, of thought to really leave an organization and it usually comes down to how they've been treated, not mm-hmm. the money that they've made. And I, uh, so, you know, when I was, when I'm running my companies, I look at, okay, is, is our turnover under 5%? And if it is, then I think that we're doing a good job of managing the people that we're, that we have. If it's over 5%, then I say, you know what? We're, we're doing something uh, completely wrong. So uh, that's why I kind of talk about it. And, you know, I think on this podcast is something that our listeners need to know that. So, you know, I, I can't, 20% is ridiculous. That, I don't know how you could sustain an organization with that type of turnover. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, and it, I wouldn't say it's evenly distributed. I mean, it's, you know, it just... And the challenge is some of the, the smaller nonprofits don't have the reserves, you know, to sustain themselves during yeah. uh, difficult times. And the larger nonprofits, um, you know, have a little bit more uh, and their funding cycles are different. Right. So, you know, some of the smaller nonprofits are more dependent maybe on a single donor or, or grant uh, funder. Yeah. And, you know, those that are more mature nonprofits or larger might have ideally more m- multiple income streams. Right. And some of it might be paid for service. Some of it might be from foundations, individual donors, donor advice funds, things like that. And so they have a little more resilience, uh, you know, available fundraising events that they may have, things like that. I mean, keep in mind that if you have four employees and one of them leaves, that's a, you know, that's 25% turnover, right? Percentage, right? Yeah. You know, most, most nonprofit, I mean, many nonprofits might just have one or two or three people. Yeah. So, so yeah. So it skews it. The percentages a little bit. Yeah. I think anytime someone leaves, you, you, you really sit there and you say, what, what was the main cause here? You know, um, and and then kind of, you know, then you kind of do a debrief, and then you kind of fix it if it's, you know, if it's a, if you think it's a real issue. Um, so, having said that, um, you know, today's whole topic is about, you know, uh, keeping your talent, uh, building your talent. You know, what what have you seen when it comes to nonprofits? Some of the key ingredients of keep, keeping keeping your talent. Yeah. Well, certainly a, 
a greater emphasis on having a, a career path of some sort, you know, particularly with the, the Gen Z and the millennials, you know, they, they want to know that there's some type of, of growth and development uh, path. And so to the extent, and this doesn't just apply to nonprofits, I mean, really it's uh, any, any industry is, is there's a greater uh, desire for having purpose and working for an organization that aligns with their values. So the nonprofits have that going for them that they tend to be more, right? purpose-driven, mission-focused. So that's the positive. Um, but to keep them engaged, it's, it's checking in with them and seeing how can we create opportunities to keep them developing new skills and have new opportunities. And in all honesty, it's, it's really mixed because many nonprofits um, they're stretched thin. And so, you know, the executive director or CEO isn't always um, spending the time needed to figure that out, right? They're stretched thin. And so, so that is a challenge. So the extent to which they can regroup and, and really kind of think about and just have conversations at the very least with their people, like what's important to them and that might open up some possibilities, uh, even if they can't pay them market rate. Uh, if if employees feel like they're growing and building skills and valued in that way, then you know that's another way to to keep them uh, hmm. longer, and not just keep them, uh, but but performing at a high level, right? Because you don't want to just keep people that are physically there, but you know mentally checked out or disengaged. Yeah, I mean, so, so some of the thoughts I think I certainly have is it. I, I remember this one time when I, I had this one employee. This is early on in my career where you know she was really good, and I promoted her into a position because I wanted to keep her that she wasn't really qualified for she wasn't really good at. So I think you want to be careful at that as well. And yeah. then other times is that when someone gets a title, mm -hmm. they also, you know, uh, become much more valuable to other people too, as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you got to be careful with those type of things. Um, I, I know one of the things I, I did I, with one of the companies, just as an idea, which was a good one, it worked out well for me, was I had um, I didn't have enough money to have an operations manager, and for one of the companies that I had, and so I took one of my uh, employees who I thought would be really good at that role and would and um, but I I kept her in her existing role, but I gave her an extra ten thousand dollars to be the operations manager too, and um, she loved it. She was young. And, and I, and I, by, you know, changing her title to operations coach, um, it, um, it was like, a, she had two titles, which, you know, titles really aren't even that important anymore, but, um, it, it, uh, she knew she was really happy with that additional responsibilities and you're right. 
um, she grew her skill set too. And it worked out really well. She was with me for 11 years. So, um, so when, when you are seeing lots of turnovers, have you had a client who came, has, has talked to you about, Hey, um, we're seeing a lot of turnover. You know, what do you, you know, what do you usually do about it, Mike? Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, if they are bringing me in to help them figure that out, um, Oftentimes, it's kind of doing a diagnostic of some sort, right, and, and really getting to the root cause. So usually it entails maybe some one-on-one -on -one conversations with employees uh, or a survey of some sort where you can protect their um, identity, you know, so confidential, and really kind of identify the what are the main themes? You know, what, what's really, is there a pattern that we can detect, or is it just a one-off thing, right? So, you know, the one-off things you can address on their own, but if there's a pattern over time where turnover is an issue or, I don't know, just even attracting talent is an issue, then we can we can usually find out what, what's happening. And so is it something that the leader's doing or not doing? Is it that employees don't have the resources they need? Maybe they have laptops that are 10 years old or something like that, or technology. Maybe they have a new donor uh, management system that was purchased, but they weren't adequately trained on that. And so they're just getting frustrated uh, with that, depending on their tech, uh, tech savvy and, and depending on the, the functionality of the system. Sometimes it's certain policies. Uh, a big thing now is uh, you know, the return to office uh, movement <laughs> after the work from home movement. And, uh, a, you know, a good chunk of my business is career, co career coaching for individuals. And, you know, I got to tell you, many of them really do not want to go back into the office if they don't have to. I mean, it's, it's really shifted um, now that they got a taste of working from home. And so having more, having a sensible policy, you know, in the eyes of employees is something that, you know, to look at. So basically just assessing, doing the diagnostic of what, what are the things that are really contributing to someone's disengagement and wanting to leave. It could be in any number of factors. Um, it could be the nature of the work itself, the way the job is designed. Uh, sometimes people are dealing with a lot of heavy, particularly in nonprofits, they're solving significant societal issues oftentimes. And it can be heavy, <laughs> right? And so if you're dealing with, like, for example, a homeless population, you may love it. It might be rewarding, but at some point, if there's not any relief, uh, it, it can be tough. So... You know, some organizations now, nonprofits are starting to explore sabbaticals, right? And things of that nature for longer term employees. This is a way to give them an opportunity to recharge, including the CEOs. Let me ask you a question with the younger generations, kids in their 20s. Have you found that the idealism that they, do, that they come in with um, 
when they start to reach 30, let's say, that they start to realize that money is much more important to them than the causes that they were that they were caring about. Hmm. Yeah, um, I'm not so sure that it's, in my view anyway, a generational thing. I think naturally, as someone gets into their 30s, maybe at that point in time, you know, they're you know, married, maybe they're having kids, things of that nature, uh, want to buy a house. So there's some practice practical things that happen, right? Just as you get older in general, um, where money, you know, can be more important and stability uh, uh, may be more important. And and so, you know, I see that evolution because I I see it with people who are mid-career and they feel stuck. So that's the opposite problem. There's people that are disengaged. They want to do something different but they stay because they feel it's too much of a risk to move to another organization or start a new career uh, because maybe at this point they they're getting a decent salary or because they have the health insurance. That's a big one that keeps people where they're at um, and they don't want to risk losing it and going into the unknown, you know, and so so that oftentimes will keep people in their 30s, 40s, 50s in a job that they don't enjoy anymore. You know. When 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 um when nonprofits have brought you in to help, uh what what has the engagement typically what has it usually been about? Yeah. Well, it really varies, uh, Steve. So, I mean, one example I have a nonprofit that's bringing me in. Uh, we just started to do some succession planning, and it's a smaller nonprofit. You know, it's about 15 employees, but a long-term CEO, and you know, uh, they're not going to be around forever. Uh, and you know, the question is, what's going to happen once they retire? And so, are there people prepared for that? And so. So that's one engagement. I have another nonprofit that had some conflict with the, within the team between employee and supervisors and between the executive director and her directors. And so um, she brought me in to do some, some coaching for her. So I got executive coaching one-on-one, but then also uh, later on to work with the team overall in terms of their uh, group dynamics and the conflicts that occur. Uh, as well as some mediation. So um, other nonprofits have been brought in to do strategic, facilitate strategic planning for the organization. I had one that was um, not too long ago, a startup nonprofit that really needed that roadmap. And so, you know, we kind of set aside a couple of days to do some strategic planning uh, and create that roadmap. So those are those some examples when it, when it came to succession planning which is another form of you know managing talent right uh typically what are what are the some of the things that you're working with uh either the board on are you working with the board on it or are you working with the 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 uh ceo you know the no, executive director both. yeah both of them right 
And so what, what are usually the things that you, you, uh, that you have to kind of really keep them focused on? Yeah. Well, sometimes it's education is a part of it. Uh, many are, because most nonprofits in my experience don't really do succession planning and uh, to their detriment, right? I mean, it's a lot of times they end up paying maybe uh, a recruiter uh, when once someone leaves and that costs, you know, a lot. <laughs> and then there's a disruption as well uh, in the business. And then there's other levels too. And, and usually, so a lot of times it's educating them around building that pipeline of talent and it, it takes some foresight, right? So if you want, if you want some um, fruit, uh, if, you're, if you're planting a garden and you have fruit um, to get the oranges and apples and pears and all that, you know, if you, if you if you plant those trees tomorrow, you can't expect that you're going to get the fruit for a while. It's going to take you a few years. So in kind of cultivating that talent and being mindful of that, it's kind of like in your world with um, the financial world with, or like with budgeting, like most organizations would never ever go through a period of time where they don't create a budget for the year and they don't track that budget on a monthly or quarterly basis. Right. I mean, that's just commonly accepted practice. Well, for nonprofit it is, but yes. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and so, but the thing the, the counter of that is, uh, and, and so there's the counter of that is, well, it's the employees that execute all that carry out the mission and the plan. And so why would you ignore that? That's another form of capital, right? Your human capital. And so the education process is putting talent management on par with, you know, your financial management. They go hand in hand, you know, in order to accomplish a mission. So, so education is one piece of it. Uh, the other is helping them to make certain decisions about the succession planning process. Like what levels are we doing? Are we doing the CEO? Are we doing the, the top leadership team? Are we doing certain key positions that like if somebody left and it, they might not manage people, but if someone left in a key position, we'd be in a world of hurt. Like maybe they have a body of knowledge that others don't have in the organization and that knowledge would just walk out the door. And so sometimes we want a succession plan for those types of roles and, and how are we going to uh, develop people to take that over? So, so part of it's helping them determine kind of who are we succession planning for um, and helping them identify what are the success factors for someone uh, to be in that role. Right? and having those conversations and then helping them brainstorm individuals in the organization that might potentially be able to fulfill that role. So doing the, what we call talent reviews. So basically evaluating you know, each of the employees, what are, what are their strengths, what are their development needs, what are their career aspirations? A lot of times organizations forget to check that with the employees and they're doing all this planning but they're not taking the employees' wants and needs and aspirations into account. Yeah. And so it's that's part of the process too. 
That not uh, not in regards to succession planning, but the, in the for-profit world, because I know you work with both nonprofits and for-profits. What do you think the for-profit world does a better job in regards to talent acquisition than the nonprofit world does, or do they? Oh, that's an interesting question. Yeah. Um, the for-profit world, from what I've seen, they do they, they seem to do a lot more market reference research, like what's going on outside uh, so that they can be competitive. To, to get to get talent um, so that's that's one thing I've noticed is a little little bit more um, involved in that way um, but there's also oftentimes more resources available in the for-profit so um, you know they can provide oftentimes more more training they can often have internal people that that's what they do they're trainers and 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 whatnot and they develop people uh, many nonprofits don't have that capacity. And so, uh, and the challenge for them is most funders don't provide general operating support, grants for general operating support. It's starting to change with some trust-based philanthropy, and um, which is a positive development, but it's still just a small fraction. So the, in the for-profit world, uh, they have more more of the resources available to fund these types of initiatives, and uh, so that's that's certainly a difference uh, there. Um, but in the nonprofits, uh, it's I think in general they tend to do a better job in many ways engaging their people, and they have the, the common mission, the common cause that we're here for. And that's more obvious to employees uh, and oftentimes, not always, uh, but oftentimes less obvious in the for-profit sector, uh, particularly the larger the organization gets. Yeah, I, I you know, I've, this is like my 300th podcast in, on the Nonprofit Made podcast. So, you know, there have been a number of podcasts that really emphasize how much nonprofits need to really address um, getting money in that can be used for operational purposes. Um, and I think that's an important part of talent acquisition, keeping your talent is you, you need to, and the problem is, is that a lot of executive directors appear to be afraid to ask a donor to contribute to the operational side of the organization. They, they think uh, that the donors want the money to go toward all the cause. And, you know, and, and I think, you know, part of the ability for you to keep your talent is to have a strategy to get money in for operations. And the, I would tell you for somebody like me who donates to nonprofits a lot and I'm on a board and I'm like, if you come to me and you say, you know, I need this money that you're donating to go so I can pay my staff so that I can keep talented people so that I can do these services or, you know, uh, implement the, what we're trying to do. Mm -hmm. I'm a business person. I completely get it. 
and and so are so many of your other donors as well. Um, now I get that some grants are you know restricted, and that's that's one thing. Yeah. And uh, you know I don't know it might even be worth a conversation with them to say hey you know can we up this from fifteen percent to twenty five percent of yeah. unrestricted funds because this is the reason why I mean why not ask. At least they'll know in the future why it's such a big deal. And you're building this bridge of open communication between the granters and uh, the grants, uh, the, uh, the foundations and stuff like that. Um, some of it, I, you know, I think it is challenging. Don't get me wrong. You know, I mean, maybe the person who, who started the foundation is still alive and, you know, they, they'll, they'll, they'll listen. So, um, that's that's one of the other things uh that's you know again going back to the ideas I, I i think people stay at organizations because they're well run they believe in the culture they believe in the in the um in the what you're trying to accomplish regardless of if it's profit or for profit and then the you know the fourth part of that is well also working conditions uh hours um tools uh and yes pay but you know it's not just pay and then everything else you know it's it's all bundled in there would you would you agree with that mike yeah well there's a few things you mentioned uh i mean to to that point i think yeah there's more than just pay for sure right and there's things that employees value that are don't involve uh, money per se right it could be education um you know, it could be some other benefits or perks, right? It could be time off, right? There's all there's all kinds of uh, creative ways, and um, sometimes I have I'm having conversations with nonprofits around how they can be creative. I'm, I'm I have conversations with job seekers as well. Like I said, if you can't get the salary you want, what else would be worth money to you? Yeah, right? yeah, maybe it's getting reimbursed for um, commuting. Maybe if they're able to use, take a train to work, just getting a commuter pass, or maybe it's um, an extra week or two of, of vacation, or maybe it's a flexible schedule. Like, what's worth money to you? You know, being able yeah. to go back to school because some things um, hit the bottom line differently than other things, right? Salary is one, but you know, if they're reimbursing you for getting a bachelor's degree or master's degree, you know, an organization uh, might be able to do that versus just paying you outright in salary because it hits the bottom line differently. Yeah. So it's really kind of thinking around that. But in terms of uh, what you brought up earlier, why don't nonprofits just have conversations with funders or ask donors for general operating support you know I, I i would agree that yes initiate the conversation and i would also say that historically they've been conditioned i, I think not to because yeah most funders generally and in, in individuals or larger funders that they, they wanted to go to a specific program or they want to know what's the roi on this specific investment and so in a way, they've been conditioned in many cases, just like, why bother, right? But I have seen kind of a shift in the last couple of years, which is encouraging uh, on both sides. 
right? Uh, see, at least locally, uh, many more nonprofits raising the issue and kind of advocating for themselves and their employees. Like, I need to pay my employees a living wage. So there's a lot more of that happening now. Yeah, um, they're much more vocal. So that's a positive. And funders are also starting to say, you know, maybe we need to reevaluate our giving policies, right, and not be so restrictive. Uh, and so, yeah, more of that, right? <laughs> well, I mean, I think I think it's been making its circuit around the last couple of years, you know, yeah. pre, even pre-COVID about the idea of restricted versus unrestricted funds and, yeah. and educating and stuff like that. So I think that's really kind of what's going yeah. on. You know, I think, you know, I don't know if the funders uh, know so much. It's the executive directors educating the funders about the, the value. You know, that, that's them. part of being able to package it and, and, yeah. and, and sell them on, hey, you know, you know, it's great if you maybe funded this program, but we need this employee to skill up to be able to run it effectively. You know, and that's something I've been pushing locally is to try to get funders to um, pair their financial giving with giving uh, um, talent as well. You know, if they don't have it to bring in some consultant or someone else to offer uh, that capacity building expertise, that technical expertise to assist the nonprofit, and that'll help their dollars go that much further. Because um, you're, again, you're, you're kind of building that long-term capacity, then the money is going to disappear, right, in the course of the year. But if you build the capacity of the employees along the way, then um, they will be able to do, they'll be able to sustain that effort over time. Yep. Agreed. Well, it's a good podcast. Uh, it's unfortunately all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank so very much Mike Gelman from High Five Career Coaching for coming on today's podcast. And if you like today's podcasts or any of the other ones, please feel free to share it with a friend and subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. And if you like today's podcast, please give us a review on your podcasting app and help us get the word out as long as it's five stars. And of course, if you're looking for a line of credit for your nonprofit, you can visit our website at nonprofitmbapodcast.com. Mike, if anyone wants to get in touch with you, how would they go about doing that? Yeah, uh, probably the best way would be LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. Just uh, pull me up there. Or MikeGelman.com, my website, uh, M-I-K-E-G-E-L-L-M-A-N.com. Great. Thanks for coming on today. Great. Thank you so much, Steve. So I'd like to thank our listeners, not just because you're listening to today's podcast, but I'd like to thank you for making the world a better place. It's a you know full-time job. There's a lot of issues going on out there and you guys are out there every day on the, on the front line. And I thank you for that. I know Mike thanks you for that too. Uh, I just want to remind you this, uh, that you are no good to your employees. You're no good to your family. You're no good to your friends. Uh, if you don't really take good care of yourself first, because I know that you care a lot about your cause, but if you don't take good care about yourself, it's going to, really rub off on so many different parts of your life. So, you know, unfortunately, saving the world is a marathon and not a sprint. And so you need to have that energy to be able to do that. So please consider that every day when you wake up or the night before saying, what do I need to do tomorrow so that I can be at my best and take good care of myself?
Other than that, uh, I want to thank you for listening to the Nonprofit MBA podcast and continue to listen. We have so many great guests like Mike on. See you later.